You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Everyone, you are tuned in to the 3CR Gardening Show for our final gardening program of the year. My name is Chloe Foster, and with me in the studio is Penny Woodward, author and horticulturalist, Jane Tonkin, horticulturalist and expert bulb grower, and Kevin Parker, horticulturalist from the Greenery in Bulleen. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Chloe. How are you? Good. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you too. And to all our listeners out there, a very Merry Christmas for next weekend. And Absolutely. Yeah. It's flown by yeah. this year. How are your gardens looking at the moment? It's been a funny it's been a funny <coughs> spring. We've had a couple of funny summers. No sun. No. <laughs> we haven't had any sun. There's so it's really... nice to get it today. It's beautiful. Yeah. 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 Mine's yeah. still full of weeds. Still, <laughs> and, now, and now they're waist high. I think everybody's in the same yeah. position. Yes. Um, so areas, <coughs> areas that I weeded, you know, a month ago, uh, they've just come back, and you know, mm, it's the weeds always just, grow best. Yeah, I know, I know. But I'm I'm generating massive piles of greenery that yeah. is going to become compost. So I, in, I, in the end, I decided. All my composts are full. I haven't had a chance to get them out because I had to weed first. I decided what I was going to do is just leave those piles where they were, where they weren't in the way, and they will gradually start breaking down. And when I'm ready to create the new compost, I'll just move them all into that compost. So it's not looking beautiful for Christmas or anything, and I don't care. No, that, that's I, a really good thing. I just... And the, do you know what happened the other day, which was one of the most remarkable things that I've ever seen? One of those first... The first warm day that we had two, two or three weeks ago, my garden filled up with hundreds of tiny blue dragonflies. Oh, really? Mm. It was just extraordinary. The, that depth of greenness and the moisture, and they weren't... I have a big pond, but they weren't round the pond. They were in amongst the depth of the shade of the in the greenery. And mm. there were literally hundreds of them, and mm. they were I, very I've never beautiful. Seen those anything little blue like ones. it, yeah, not but not in those numbers. Yeah, it was amazing and uplifting and extraordinary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is so, quite phenomenal when you see rises in huge numbers of insects <clears throat> from sort of seasonal long yes. um, yeah. weather patterns. Yes. You know, when we get rises in you know a white fly outbreak or something it's yes. because of a few things from autumn that happened in and it yeah. happened in spring yeah. as well 
But I, I think we uh, so often we're having to deal with pest species as gardeners. Yes, but yeah. I think we need to recognise that a lot of these things are actually beneficial things as well and it's really exciting to have them there and I've been seeing some different butterflies this year too which is pretty exciting. What have you been seeing? Uh, I'm not sure what they are you know they sort of I I don't they don't stay still long enough for me to take a photo and go and check it out but there's a black winged one with um, orange spots down my edge of the wing which is a really interesting one that I haven't seen in the garden before. It is very special to see different types of butterflies in the garden i've seen a few um dainty swallowtails out in the last Mm. couple of weeks which Mm. is always a treat Mm. they can have my citrus trees i can go through your life yeah that caterpillar can hang around yes (laughs) yeah yeah and so it's it's part of the reason that i never use you know pesticides in my Mm. garden yes because this is what i want to be in my garden i want the whole thing to be an ecosystem so Mm. So as much as I complain about the weeds, I'm actually thrilled by some of the other stuff that's happening there unexpectedly. Do you get lots of frogs and stuff? You yeah, you lots had a of pond, frogs. So. Yeah, I've got yeah. three different frogs there all the time and occasionally I'll hear something that I'm not familiar with that I send off to the frog app and yeah. ask them to There's identify for me. Some great apps um, yeah. and listening to frog noises and stuff can, yes. can take a lot of time if you take yeah. Well, these, these guys, this is based at... Um, um, the Australian Museum, yep. and um, and they what they do is use the citizen science of people sending in the noises of their frogs to actually identify where they are, and they geolocate them so that they have this huge map from people sending in their frogs, um, which I think is really exciting mm-hmm. that people are using Particularly when the frog numbers science. are declining. It's, yes. it's, it's yeah. a good thing to have, yeah. isn't it? Absolutely, mm-hmm. although I think that this wet these wet years are actually benefiting frogs. Certainly are. There's a lot the more The floods around. don't actually benefit mm. them. Mm. Um, no. They do in some places and to some extent, but they also destroy populations as well because it gets too wet. But, mm. um, you know, the general moistness around has been good for frogs, so, mm. but not all frogs. Yeah. Mm. Jane, how have you been up in the ranges the last few months? Uh, incredibly wet. Um, I don't remember a sort of winter spring like it in my lifetime um so a lot of a lot of the things that we grow are um in containers and and pots and things Mm. because of maintaining stocks for a commercial level and things and um i sort of was getting very very stressed of how a lot of these things that go dormant over the summer are going to be through that sort of wet period and things so um Things that have started to go dormant that I'm tipping already that I may not have tipped for another month because I'm concerned that when you say tipping, I say tipping the boxes, tipping it out, uh, yeah, because yeah. a lot of a lot of these dormant things. So not putting a bet on saying it's going to die. You know, I, I'm not very good at betting. Um, so a lot of the summer dormant things need to dry storage. Um, yeah. You know, you can move your pots cool and dry kind of thing, but when I'm doing it to sell, I need to know how much stock I've got so they get dry stored, stored in the shed each summer. Um, so the polystyrene boxes that we use are that wet that I'm concerned that when we hit these days of 30-plus that those bulbs that are dormant and might just steam and, and rot. Oh, nice. mm. So there's this fine line between mm. is it ready to um, be taken out of the soil or um, do I leave it a little bit longer and risk that you're going to get um, issues and stuff happening. So yeah. um, that's a bit tricky at yeah. the moment. But 
it's mother nature and we mm. we deal and a lot of things you know that i thought may have um sort of suffered a little bit i've sort of tipped pots and gone oh it's a big sigh of you yeah. know thankfully it's okay um but yeah that's just the ups and downs of, of weather and the ups and downs of gardening and and being in this business too that they you know everybody loses plants mm. um and even even us that do it professionally, oh, we lose a lot of things too. So it's all about trial and error and learning where something's from and stuff too that um, can help with those things. Yep. yep. Beautiful. Yep. Kevin, welcome to the 3CR Gardening Show. Thank You're you, a new voice to yes. the studio. Yes. Um, but not totally new to radio. No, I've done a little bit over the years. Yeah. And uh, um, I guess... Uh, uh, I'm not too bad speaking. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing fine. <laughs> um, so you've been at the greenery for quite a while. Uh, so I was trying to work it out yesterday, as a matter of fact. It's about 28, 28 years now. So uh, Packed uh, up a bit of long service leave in that time, yes, I hope. <laughs> yes, yes. So I've seen a few changes over yeah, the years. And yeah. uh, uh, recent years we've had... Um, uh, Barry, the original owner of the business, passed away and his um, family have decided to keep the business going. So over the last couple of years, we've um, made a few changes. Had a recent new pop-up store start up in Richmond um, okay. on Bridge Road and uh, early December that started and it's uh, it's going well. Yeah, good. So um, similar vein to what we're doing, probably concentrating more on... Uh, uh, balcony type gardens mm. and uh, indoor plants, um, those sorts Perfect. of things, because and it's a lot of apartment gardening in, in mm. Richmond. Mm. And plants make such good Christmas presents, don't they? They do, they do, they <laughs> yes. do. And that's the the idea of bringing the uh, the hydrangea. I mean, they're a traditional Christmas line. Mm. Um, Mm. And this is a new a new colour. It's stunning. Yeah, let's stunning let's red. talk about it because yep. we're all just waiting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're always uh, very popular presents for Christmas, mm. and uh, have been. These are, are grown by one of the uh, uh, major wholesale nurseries in in Melbourne. We've been dealing with them for many many years, and they develop new colours all the time. And this one is just absolutely fantastic. Never had a colour like mm. it before. Mm. And uh, probably an appropriate colour for Christmas, mm. I guess. With the, it's a with the, magenta, is that sort well, of Well, it's, it's, it's called ruby red, uh, yeah. but it almost classes as a magenta. Magenta, yeah. Magenta it's a colour. gorgeous dark, dark pinky red, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. And to have so many flowers on a, such yeah. a small plant. And I was actually really admiring the leaves as well. Yeah, because the they're, they're not your usual hydrangea leaf. No, it's a lovely dark, dark leaf. very dark. Oh, yeah, so, uh, it's, yeah, it's hard to know whether that's because it's in the pot, but be. yeah, but mm. the colour is um, mm. it's great. It's a, and of course, yeah. they last for such a long time, mm. and then mm. you know make good cut flowers. Mm. Um, and uh, as long as they get plenty of water, that's probably their main requirement. Yeah. Hydrangeas in the shade from the hot sun. Yeah, so they, uh, yeah, they do need to be in a protected position. They're generally very happy. So uh, but you tuck them into a shady bit on your on your veranda, mm. and um, yeah, mm. they'd be perfect mm. for that. I, I get a lot of people asking me about pruning hydrangeas. What are the tips that you guys have, or do you? They, they should be pruned, and um, they're much better plants if they are pruned every year. Um, the temptation is to cut them hard back like a rose, 
and when you do that it discourages the plant from flowering again so normally I've always been taught to leave um, any growth that hasn't flowered in that season um, prune off any flowers or any growth that um, have have occurred um, because if you prune it too hard then all the plant wants to do is regrow mm-hmm. yeah. and um, not produce much in the way of flowers mm-hmm. so um, uh, so if you just treat it a bit like a, a tidy up so to speak heaven of, of getting yeah. rid of those dead heads and things like that mm-hmm. if you cut those back and yes. those other new canes that you're talking about um, that are going to be your next year's flowers and stuff have got room to yes, fill out. Yes, yeah, and thin, mm-hmm. thin the yeah. Often when they get older, they get very thick and dense, mm-hmm. a lot of branches, mm-hmm. so you tend to have to thin the plant out mm-hmm. to encourage, um, you know, a fresh new growth, which is what produces those flowers. Mm-hmm. So, But you'd be, because you want to prune, pick the flowers from time to time, you'd be sort of pruning it every time you pick the flowers, Exactly, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the general rule was always to prune to two plump buds, you know, uh, on the stem itself okay. because they'll bec- become the new shoots mm. and then, you know, your potential for more flowers next year, so... Um, now, with that one particularly, um, so what's it called, Ruby Red, would that be available at the Richmond pop-up or...? Uh, we've got an assortment of colours over there, but... It's um, just that's very, very Christmassy as we were talking oh, about because yes. of the yeah. red and green and... And, um, and, and, and the whites are very popular too yeah. for Christmas, of course. So, in fact, a uh, mix, you could have reds and whites and that was just a perfect mixture. Christmas. Yes, yeah, it's yeah. kind of, <laughs> sitting here, it's, a, it's an instant table centre. Oh, um, yeah, you could just yeah. put something around the black pot. Yeah, um, and, and that's where they're often used as table decorations yeah. for Christmas, of course. Mm. And you know they tie them in with the poinsettias, and mm. and um, and they'll stay inside for a few days, um, if if need be. You can't leave them inside indefinitely, but uh, um, you may as well enjoy the flowers over the Christmas yeah. period. Mm. Mm. Absolutely stunning. My friends have been having hydrangea competitions at the moment. Three of them have <laughs> moved into new houses this year, and there's lo and behold just ready to go hydrangeas there for them and one of them has red not as um dark magenta as this but a really bright red and white the old the old um owner has planted them alternating along the front fence and it's just like Mm. stunning um another one has the blue one so it's just been a hydrangea season for me (laughs) at the moment with lots of Lots of hydrangea photos. Well, the hydrangeas would have enjoyed our wet spring. They so. have. They have. Yes. And the cold winter too, yeah. I think, that promotes yeah. better flowering. Yeah, so. they're flourishing particularly well mm. at the moment. Which yeah. We should probably just add in all of this for people who haven't grown hydrangeas that flower colour can be affected by the pH of the soil. Yes, Correct. thank you. Yeah. So, so if it's acid, it tends towards the pink and reds if it's alkaline it tends towards the blues mm. so whereas you were saying the, the white doesn't the white usually change as, they as stay white, white. yeah yeah it, it really does and i don't know the answers it does boggle my mind the colors that are the, the, some of these new varieties of hydrangeas are coming out because mm. it's like well if you i just think well if i put it in the garden is it going to stay that color <laughs> I, yeah yeah it depends on your soil ph yeah and it might not change for a couple of years after planting. You know, mm, the, mm. You, you probably have this colour for, uh, depending on your pH, you know, for at least a couple of years. Mm. So, or grow them in a pot. Well, That's yeah, the other if option. you grow them in a pot and mm. you control the pH, then mm. you'll get whatever you want. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I do also like the idea of 
um, the surprise if you do yeah. put it in the grouse. Yeah. Like, yeah. What's it going to turn out to be? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, some fantastic new colours, is even into purple shades now. Mm. Mm. Amazing, and you can get the what they call the um, the ring type hydrangeas um, or lace caps, which mm. have oh, the, yes. the ring of flowers around the central uh, crown. Yeah. And the um, climbing hydrangea. And the climbing hydrangea, that's another really one, nice yeah, which a lot of people wouldn't know about. Yeah. It's um, self-clinging climber that sticks to um, mm. walls and brickwork mm. and what have you, and it's an mm. unusual plant. Yeah, needs to be in the right spot, though, doesn't it? In the right spot, yes. I have, it's funny you say that, Penny. I have been, I moved into my new house last weekend. And I'm like, all right, all these new places to garden. And I was thinking of putting a climbing hydrangea mm. against one of the back fences. And it, it is a south-facing fence and it's quite – it's not dark, but it's um, it doesn't get much direct sunlight. Um, I don't know a lot about climbing hydrangeas. What do you know? <laughs> um, look, the only place I grew it successfully was in a, something pretty similar to that. Yeah. The main thing that you have to remember is that you've got to keep the moisture up to yeah, them. Okay. But they don't they don't cope well in long, hot, dry summers. Yeah. That's what killed my plant yeah. eventually. I just wasn't watering enough yeah. for, for that particular position. And it had competition from surrounding trees and yeah. stuff like that. So but in good garden soil, good moisture, um, and not too much sun, particularly the western sun mm. um it should do well yeah it's all about keeping your root zone um, yeah, cool. cool on on any of those sort of climbers so it's hydrangea pedialaris is the general species of the climbing hydrangea <clears throat> and they're native to japan some mm. mountainous regions and things so if you're treating it from that sort of aspect it needs protection from hot afternoon suns and things but it's all about protecting that root zone and keeping that cool mm. and moist and stuff too um, otherwise, that they're fun, beautiful foliage. Yeah. Just, mm. just yep. the foliage itself. Yeah. Um, they're a great plant, um, and they're not a climber that takes over. No. That's what no. you want. That's no. the yes. sort of climber no. you yeah. want. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, of course, they're, they're deciduous plants as well, yeah. which uh, a lot of people don't realise. Mm. So know, you get autumn colours, nice autumn colours, yeah. and yeah. Uh, even when they're bare, they're quite attractive on mm. on um, sculptural. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So give it a go. Yeah. I think I will. I think yeah. I will. And oh, I can't wait. I'm going to rip up the front lawn and just plant it out. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> can't wait. <laughs> well, I, and congratulations on moving yeah. into your new home. Oh, thank you. God, it's been a process. Yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Don't forget to take before and after photos. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But at least you've got this palette that you can decide mm. what you want to do now. Mm. It's yours. Mm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, no, the garden exciting. is in, it is exciting. It's in very good condition at the moment. There's nothing flowering in there mm. at the moment, which is a bit of a bummer, especially leading into mm. Christmas. It's nice having, you know, being able to put flowers on the table when people come round or for my own interest. But, um, yeah, it's in very good condition. There's hardly a weed and, oh, so lucky, mm. so lucky. There's, there's no oxalis. <laughs> I looked at so many houses this year and the garden was... A mess and the oxalis. I just it, sometimes mm. it was a deal breaker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you look at yeah, the house is beautiful and you've fallen in love with this amazing kitchen and you go outside and all the oxalis. You go no, no, yeah, hard no. <laughs> Too much Tell you're a gardener. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah. I sort of thought, oh, you know, it doesn't matter what's in the garden. It's but it, some things ended up being a deal breaker. Well, that's fair enough. And if you've got the bones there, I think then you can make it yours as well. So don't worry about the fact that it's got, you know, not much 
colour and things. We can fix that. Oh, absolutely. And the plants that are there are very healthy. They've been well looked after. They've been clipped and pruned. They're just, they're just not flowering. They're just not mm-hmm. a summer Christmas yep. time flowering garden. Mm. So I'll sort that out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I am going to open the phone So Chloe's lines. family out there, just hang on. Um, plants for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> My auntie came around yesterday. She said, oh, what do you want as a housewarming present? I live near Karanga. I was like, that's That'll what do. I want. Thank yep. you. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's open, <clears throat> let's open up the phone lines um, today and, and give us a call if you have any questions. Uh, it's our last show until... It's our last show for the year until we're back in the first Sunday in February. So our number is 94190155. And our text message line, if you don't want to come on air, is 0488809855. So we can't accept images on the text line. So uh, if you want to send photos to us, if you have a really proper garden conundrum or you really want to just brag about some pretty flowers you've got <laughs> our email address is gardening at 3cr.org.au you can also contact us on social media we're on facebook and instagram and our name is 3cr gardening show on both of those platforms and if you missed the start of the show or missed any other shows you can listen to us on any podcast app or on the 3cr website so our number's 94190155. My name's Chloe Foster, and I have Penny Woodward, Jane Tonkin, and Kevin Parker in the studio with me this morning. Penny, we've, everyone's brought in a lot of plants this morning, so let's get stuck into some plants. Penny, what do you want to start off with? Oh, oh that's too difficult a question. It's <laughs> early in the morning. Close your eyes and pick one. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm going to go with this one. This is, um, this is a tucurium. Ah. Brian has... Um, How interesting. Tucurium betonicum. How do you spell that species name? Tucurium. T-E-U-C-R-I-U-M. Tucurium. And the species again? Betonicum. Betonicum. Yeah. Thank you. It's, I suspect it's betonicum because the flowers resemble betony flowers a little bit, which okay. isn't. Yeah. Anyway, this grows as a shrub and it's down one side of my garden. I haven't cut it back this year. I usually cut it back a bit more. It's just looking stunning yeah. because it's um, covered in these purple flowers, <clears throat> and as a result of these amazing, they're sort of they're salvia-like flowers, and they are related. Tucriums are related to salvias, but um, the, it's just masses of bees and all sorts of pollinating <laughs> insects are all over them. So um, I love it. Uh, I need to cut it back more regularly and get it more under control, but it's a terrific plant in the garden. Both Lamley and Diggers sell it. I will take some photos and send them yeah, thank you. so that people can see it. The foliage on that is... It's a, it's un- a lovely... And it's, it's got a little bit of a scent to it, okay. but it's a lovely soft try that... I'm just passing this over to Chloe so the that she can run the tucurium that's most common is tucurium. Is it fruticosa? Fruticosa. Fruticans, fruticans Fru- I think. Fruticans. 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 I think it, uh, yeah, fruticans. That's right. And that's, uh, that's often used for hedging. Yes. It's a very yeah. quick growing yeah. plant, nice silvery foliage. Mm. Yeah, and, yeah, and blue flowers. And blue, and blue flowers. flowers. Yeah. yeah, whereas yeah. this Completely is Completely different foliage to yeah. this one. This yeah, is yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. So they're they're in the same genera, so yeah. It's a, it's I think it's a, it should be used more often. It was one of the plants that was actually in my garden when we bought the house mm. 
15 years ago and it's it's um it's still doing really well so, so is that a true perennial penny Would absolutely that, it grows so, as a shrub to about this so you'd cut it right you cut it, no right. you cut you you could mm. it will grow from being cut right down to the base but usually i just trim it back after it finishes flowering and, that's and it forms yeah. a hedge along one boundary mm. um to about sort of that yeah, it's a penny saying sort of about a meter to a meter and a half sorry tall. <laughs> that's okay <laughs> Thank I'm you, <laughs> we, we can all see it, but no one else can. It gets to this height, yeah. um, which makes it even more impressive, I think, um, because of the height of it um, with these terminal little racemes of purpley pink, beautiful flowers. I, th- yeah. I think it would be a stunning plant. It's a great um, plant. And it's, even it's without the flowers, the foliage is very yeah. decorative, isn't yeah. it? It's a nice yeah, yeah. Does it keep in water, Pennington? Yes, yeah. it does. Okay. Yeah. Great cut flower yeah. too. So it's there one, it's go, one go, that go I don't think is well enough known. So mm. that's yep. why I brought. Oh, beautiful. And one. you said Lamley and what was the other one? Diggers. Diggers have both got it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, beautiful. Um, we've had a text message come in. Uh, Rosie from Mount Eliza. Tomorrow she is having her five metre variegated pitocerum removed. Firstly, congratulations <laughs> on removing <laughs> a variegated pitto. Um, she wants to replace it with something more friendly to wildlife and less dense. She asks if she can use the bark and leaves as mulch. It doesn't seem to um, seed around and there are no suckers. Can it be used as mulch? I would have said I, so. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't say why yeah. not. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I, the only thing I do with if I've got a big tree that I've mulched is that I'd maybe mix it through with some other stuff mm. wherever you're putting it so that it's not just that. Mm. And then so. at least the pitto's doing something good. Yes, yes. Yeah. providing an environmental benefit. <laughs> what are we benefit. going to put in? What are we? What's some wildlife-friendly mm. selections? And she doesn't want it. It didn't want it dense. dense Is that what? Yeah. Less. Yep. Yeah, friendly yeah. to wildlife and okay. less dense. What about some of the grevilleas? They're um, good for yeah. attracting birds yeah. and, and and insects to the garden. Mm. Yep. And, uh, mm. They're not so dense that you can't see through mm. them. And yeah. Very tough plants. Easy to grow. There's a whole range there's, there's, of colours. There are some really nice grevilleas around. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking something you know, an indigenous medium to large shrub from yeah. down on the peninsula. Yeah. Some of the Malalukas, perhaps. Yep. Yeah. Mm. Some of them can be a little bit dense, but some of them are a bit more open and flowy. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I, there are so many things that mm. you could that you could put in there. Um, it, it's it's tricky. I I actually. And this may be too dense for her, but I love the lemon myrtle and it does really well in my garden. Okay. And it, it's growing quite slowly. Um, so it, although it does get into a bigger tree, if it's one that you cut, are prepared to cut back and keep mm. under control, but it, it is fairly dense. Because you're down the peninsula yep. too, Penny. How yep. do they go? They because go it's beautifully. A, down yeah, because there. they're, growing they're really subtropical well. plants. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because because I'm in an area where we don't get frosts, yeah. it, it does really well. Yeah. So I, I just, when it's in flower, it's just amazing. Mm. It's a beautiful plant and you can use it. So I'm mm. afraid that's my bent. <laughs> no, is there anything else in your garden, being down the peninsula, that you might be able yeah, to suggest? Yeah, I was, well? I was, I was thinking about that. There's some, there's some nice small eucalypts these mm. days too that can be quite open um, underneath in in the sort of lower branch. It depends what when she says she doesn't want it to be too dense. It, um, why? 
Mm. Doesn't she want it to be too dense? Because that's that, what provides cover for the little birds. That's what provides the yeah. cover for the little birds. Yeah. So and there's some really good hakeas mm. as well. Mm. Banksias. Yeah, and banksias. So mm. that they not only attract the little birds who like hiding against their slightly prickly foliage mm. sometimes, but um, they also attract the bigger birds like the yellow-tailed black cockatoos and who, wattle birds and, and yeah, yeah who love feeding on the on the seed pots because yeah. i know down on the peninsula we we had a lot, we have a lot of pine trees and partly because of storms and partly because they are some of them are reaching the end of their life a lot of those are being cut down so mm-hmm. we had a block behind us that was full of pine trees and someone wanted to build there and they cut it down we and this was these this was about 7 years ago the yellow-tailed black cockatoos still come in when they expect the pine nuts to be there, looking for the pine pine Mm. nuts. And they circle overhead calling before they head off somewhere else to find. Mm. So so when we're thinking about planting stuff, it's nice if you can, you know, plant things for some of the bigger birds Mm. as well. I mean, that does mean you've then got to protect your fruit trees. But, you know, we need to share this environment. Yeah, we do. We do, and you can keep the fruit trees small and, yeah. and net them, net and then them. have. Yes. I just put the net over two of my apple, apple trees because I've got you know nice little apples coming now, so yeah, good. They're, they're completely netted. Yeah, we good. have the uh, dreaded liquid ambers planted in our street, oh, and okay. uh, apart from the fact that they get lopped to grow yeah. around the power lines and look absolutely terrible. Yeah. The only benefit from them is they bring in the birds when they've got their the seed pods. Seed pods on them. And the yep. cockies, the cockies yep. love them. I mean, they make a huge mm. mess all over the Don't ground, they? but at yeah. least they're, yeah. they're feeding yeah. on the tree. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm. Yes. I've just reached the point now that um, Eve, I totally agree with you about potosporums, but I just think every tree is precious now, and mm. we have to think really seriously before we cut down. Anything. I totally agree. Whether it's an introduced plant or not, if it's growing well and doing really well, then, um, yeah, I think we should... So everyone should plant a tree on Christmas Day? Yes. Mm. Yeah, or the day before (laughs) and the day after. (laughs) (laughs) Especially, like, the East Gippsland Petosporum, that is is very weedy and it does have a very negative effect on ecosystems. Yes. But when it's flowering, there's so many insects around... And, and when it's producing fruit, berries. the berries, yes. I mean, the berries spread and then there's more mm. weed problems. But I think if you are going to remove it, you, you do need to think about what you're going to replace it, makes, it with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and make a smart, informed decision about mm. what you're going to replace it with. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So it was, it was Rosie, wasn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah. Um, there's probably, she could probably even put a couple of different things in together in that spot as mm. well, um, I think. Yeah. I think there's some great suggestions there for her. She's going to have fun over Christmas. Yeah, have fun over Christmas, Rosie. Um, Oh, she just said, yeah, any suggestions, welcome. Grevillea sounds lovely. So thanks for texting in again, Rosie. Uh, If you do want to give us a call, the number is 94190155. And we have another caller on the line. Virginia in Seville. Hello. Good morning, girls and boys. (laughs) Good morning, Ginny. (laughs) I've got. It's the last program, isn't it? It yes. is. Oh, dear. What? How extraordinary how the years ended. I've got two Scadoxas of considerable size, and I was just wondering if um, any of you have grown them, because I've got them in pots, and I was wondering, 
people do grow them in the ground? Yep. And if so, where? <clears throat> um, is it is it Punisius? Do you know, Jen? Or I th- I've got two different ones. Okay. Um, basic, One's already flowered, Jane. Yeah, basically treat them the same as your other Amarilla Daisy, so like your Belladonnas and those sort of things. The only thing but I I'm would, as rough as hell with them. Yeah, so they need that full sun sort of spot. Um, you probably find that they may do better in a pot at your place because they tend to be a little bit more frost tender. Oh, right. Um, okay. Because, as you know, the, the foliage is there all the time kind of thing. Um, so you might have a bit of frost issues there on the hill, but um, you can definitely put them out in the garden in a sort of full sun position if you've got other belladonnas and amaridges or brunsvigias, those sort of things. So can I just um, jump in here because I didn't hear the name clearly. Of, of so Scadoxus. Scadoxus, and yep. we're talking bulbs. We're talking a bulb, yep. Good. Yep. And so, and I'm glad someone knew. So it's in it's in the Amarilla Daisy family. So if for listeners out there, it's in the same family as your Belladonna's Naked Ladies, um, Noreen's, and mm. all of those other big, fabulous South African things like the big Josephine Lily Brunsvigia and and that sort of thing. So um, sounds gorgeous. Mm. 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 They are pretty pretty interesting, and they I mean they've got very big leaves too, Penny, so that they. You know, they're, even when they're not in flower, they're still worth looking at. Yes, yeah, yeah. that's yeah, good. big strappy yeah. leaves, and um, they have this. The flower comes out in a big ball um, of mm. flowers. Do you do you remember what colour it was, Jin, when it flowered? The one, yeah, it's a sort of orangey colour. Yeah, and it's flowered already. Um, that's and, not, I think they sometimes call them fireballs or. Something like that, but um, um, Fermi will help me out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. or George. Yeah. The other one I got from, um, I got this week, um, the last weekend, and it's got quite a, di- it, it, it is, if you look closely, it is a different leaf form, and it hasn't flowered, the person who gave it to me said. Yep. So, so I, and she said it's summer flowering, whereas the other one, I would call it late winter, early spring Early spring flower, flower. yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm quite um, I'm quite thrilled to have them, mm. and I thought I'd repot the the new one because it's a very small pot for rather a large plant. What's the leaves like on the one you got last week? It's um, it's similar, but it's it's a bit paler. Okay. And it's it's got it's um it's got a bit of a bit more form around the edge of the leaf. Okay. It might just be that it's moved conditioner, um, but she said it hadn't flowered. Okay. So um, what made, size? And, and that she called it summer flowering, whereas the other one, which I've had for a while, has definitely always flowered in late winter. Yeah. When you repot the new one, um, just yep. make sure that you're using nice free draining sort of mix, hun. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yes. I get that. So a bit of perlite or gravel or some of the yes. chunkier sort of um, potting mixes and things. Yep, yep. Okay, I've got perlite. I'll do exactly yep. that. Yep, just make sure when you're using your perlite, wet it first or when wear a mask, please. Yep. yep. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a, apparently there's quite a bit of um, a problems coming up. What do you call it? The lung one that we can, we can get from... Legionnaires. Oh, 
Yeah. Yeah, leash hands. Apparently yeah. that's popping up at the moment. Anytime you're potting up, you should use gloves and a mask. Mm. <laughs> and I, these oh, days... Oh, gin. Gin. <laughs> Put the cigarettes <laughs> down. <laughs> these yeah, days I use I, a mask I, whenever I'm spreading mulch too. Sorry, Virginia? That's my bit of long COVID. Long COVID, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, mm. poor love. I had COVID last June. Yeah. So is it a yes. nice day in Seville East this morning? Absolutely Gorgeous. Good, good, good. (laughs) All right, Jim, will you enjoy the garden and you enjoy Seville today? We're going to keep going because we've got a a table full of plants here. Fantastic. I'll be interested. Merry Christmas. Bye. Um, Kevin, question for you. Um, Mm. Could you repeat the information about the pop-up nursery that the greenery has? Yes, it's uh, opened early December. And it's located um, just up from the corner of uh, Church Street on Bridge Road. Um, we're hoping to have it probably for uh, at least six months. And um, it's, it's located in a, an area where there's a coal supermarket, there's a food court and uh, apartment blocks above. Um, and we're, it's, it's quite a large store and we're doing a range of different products targeting probably more apartment living, um, so balcony-type plants and um, outdoor furniture. Uh, we have a, a range of uh, firm mob um, French furniture, which we have exclusively, and it's that bright metal decorative-type furniture, and it's ideal for the, you know, smaller, smaller balconies and apartment living. Um, but apart from that, there's giftware and uh, you know a range of plants that would be suitable for for balcony style or indoor plants. Um, and uh, we is it regular opening hours? We're open ten till six every day. Yep. And uh, it's a little bit different from the um, uh, the greenery uh, itself, but um, uh, we're getting a lot of interest and uh, a lot of new customers, which is mm. good. Terrific. And, uh, You'll have to warn them that you've been speaking about them. They might need another <laughs> yeah, staff might, member today. <laughs> and some more stock. Might be a big rush. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're excited. We're yeah, very that's excited. Great. Yeah. That's great. It's going well. It's going yeah. well. Yeah, really good. So will it be open till 6 o'clock on Christmas Eve? Uh, yeah. Good question. We're actually open late at the nursery on Christmas Eve. Um, we may, I think it's 6 o'clock actually on Christmas Eve yep. in Richmond. Yep. Yeah. So it gives you time to get down yeah. there. That's right. Mm. Last minute Christmas mm. shopping. Yeah. What time is the Bulleen Nursery open until on Christmas Eve? Uh, till eight o'clock. All right. Wow. You're testing my memory now. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. Keep that in mind, everyone. If you need a last minute gift. Mm. Jane, let's talk about one of the. Oh, there's. You bought a lot of colour in I, today. I bought a lot of colour. Um, we'll start with a whole group of things, which might be a little bit easier to get through a few quickly um we've got plenty of time so chloe was talking about the fact that she's just inherited this new place and garden um with no color in it and everybody knows that all the spring bulbs have sort of finished so all your tulips and daffies have all gone to sleep now and um we need something that will replace it through those late spring Mm. into summer months and there's this fabulous genus, um, the, the Themidaceae family, which includes your Tritalias um, and Brode- Brodeas and Dicalostemas. 
Um, and they're all basically native to that western part of North America. So predominantly California up into Oregon. Some of them go down into Southern America, into Mexico and Guatemala. But most of the genus is um, concentrated around California. And they can go from coastal areas all the way up into the mountains, depending on um, the species or the particular um, one in the genus. Um, so there's sort of mountainous areas and um, open conifer forests. There's wet um, meadows. There's just open grassland. Mm. And this whole family um, does it all. So depending on which one. So we'll start with the Tritellias. Um, so they're pretty much widespread over California from those sort of coastal areas up into the mountains. So you'll find ones that actually like a more wet condition and some that will tolerate those sort of sandy conditions. Um, basically, they're a um, sort of half-open chalice, I suppose, yeah. shaped flower. They're not really a, an open star. But the one I've got in front of me is called Pedunculares. And so it's Tritalia Pedunculares. And it has these long pedicels that make it look a bit like an inverted um, umbrella. Yeah. Which many Victorians would know about <laughs> lately with <laughs> the wind and rain. Or I sort of think Mary Poppins had a bad day. Um, <laughs> but they're, they're very, very cute and full sun mm. position. And this one will tolerate a lot of um, spring rain as well. It's done quite well. Um, so, so how long's the stem? The stem is... Okay, I, I go in f about a foot and a half. Yeah, so on. what was that? 50, 50, 50 centimetres. 60 centimetres Yeah, tall. so quite so, tall so, yeah, off the ground. Short. So. And the spread of the head is about eight inches across, so nearly 20 centimetres across um, on this one. And the flowers are white, but they have this beautiful mauve and purple striping on the outside. Um, and they're easy. They're one of those things that you can just stick in the garden and leave in like your daffodils and things, but they'll come into flower after. Foliage is a little bit insignificant. They have sort of um, tubular to strappy leaves, but most of the time the leaves are starting to die back when the flowers begin, um, which also adds to the fact that they uh, can be seen too. Mm. You know? mm. um, so in that same Tritalia genus, there is... Um, some other ones there's this bright yellow one that has a coppery back and um, it's the spread of its head is nowhere near the size of pedunculares but it is one of the ones that will tolerate those more sandy dry conditions so for down the peninsula and things like that perfect um, mm. so this is ixioides subspecies ixioides and no they don't have a smell although whenever I mm. pick up flowers the first thing is that I mm. don't have a smell um, but make great cut flowers. Yeah, they do. Um, they really do. The last in that genus I've got is this bright bluey purple one, which is laxa, and it's the most commonly known one. We were talking about Lambley Nursery mm. before. David um, Glenn imported a few of the different named cultivars of laxa a few years ago. There's one that's a sort of pale blue um, with a white stripe called Rudy Kleiner, that's sensational. Um, and I've had that in a vase for over two weeks in flowers. Mm. So um, vase life is great too. Yeah. Um, Laxa is one of the ones that will go um, from sort of sea level right up to almost 1,300 metres. And 
so the variation in this species itself um, can be in colour from white through to this deep purple and the size of the plant you can go from sort of six inches high to um, yeah your yeah, foot and a half high um, depending on where it's growing mm. and stuff so they're very very easy they're to, stunning to colours as well. Great um, colours, beautiful. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of these um, North American bulbs, woodland, um, sort of meadow things, are underutilised. I think, and it, and it is easy to put a little drift in. Mm. Um, so basically, they're a corm rather than a bulb, um, but they do offset some of the some of the ones offset more than others, depending on which one it is. Um, but tritelia. Tritelia, mm. T-R-I. T-R-I-T-E-L-E-I-A. Tritelia. Do they have a weedy potential? Um, no. I Well, I haven't in your, found in your the, experience. No. Yeah. Um, and yeah. we used to, um, when I was a lot younger, grow them out in the paddock. Mm. Um, but now with my deer problems and things like that, we can't. And it never got to the stage where it was like some of the alliums and things yeah. like that that Coming cause up an in, issue. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Thank you. All right, I've got a few text messages to get through. One listener did text message in and say we got the hydrangea colours and pH yes. around the wrong way. Oh, Blue we, is acid, sorry. pink is alkaline. Sorry. That's sorry. all right. My fault entirely. See, Gets we're just making time. sure you're awake out there. <laughs> There's people <laughs> listening. Yeah, that's, that's a good start. <laughs> yeah. All right, um, Anne from Callista has messaged in. Thank you for your conversation about hydrangeas. We have a Lassiandra, mm. which was large when it came when they came to the house twenty five years ago. It's become lanky, has been pruned, it dies off to sticks and grows back from a coppice. Um, we repeat it every couple of years, um, so it must be similar to hydrangeas. Um, she decided to try cuttings um, one year, and they had a little bit of success. So that's really good. Um, where is the best place to plant them? And should we remove the old plant altogether? We face east northeast with shade. Lassiandras. Um, the very old varieties of Lassiandras, Tibishina, um, was their, their um, I think it still is their current name, but an older name. Um, the old varieties used to grow very tall and have that habit of getting very lanky with the foliage and the flowers at the top. And they flower for a very long period of time. It's the sort of plant that is affected by frost and probably better planted out of blazing hot sun. It would tolerate maybe um, morning sun, an easterly aspect. Uh, and once established, takes very dry conditions. But uh, they have bred over recent times much more compact varieties, So, and they flower just as well with the same type of foliage. Lassiandras have that um, uh, very heavily ribbed foliage um, which is uh, uh, you know a bonus with the plant apart from the flowers themselves and the dwarf varieties do very well in pots so if you wanted to enjoy um, Lassiandra the purple flowers are are fantastic but they can look very good in pots as well so position wise I'd have them planted facing east probably the best spot for them reasonably well drained soil Pruning is important, mm. particularly those old varieties, because they do get very tall and uh, and lanky. And a good hard prune every year, um, you know, at least probably a third to a half pruned off would um, would benefit the plant. Mm. Good. Mm. Thanks, good. Kevin. Hopefully that is helpful, Anne. 
Um, and George has texted in, so Virginia, I hope you're listening. Um, in regards to the Scodoxus, it can be planted in the garden in morning sun so long as it is protected from the frost. Thanks, George. Thank you, George. Uh, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm Chloe Foster, and in the studio this morning I have Penny Woodward, Jane Tonkin, and Kevin Parker. Um, we're going to get to a plant um, next, and I'm just going to dangle a carrot or some candy. I'm going to do community announcements a little bit later this morning. Um, we've got a special Christmas surprise for our listeners, so I'm going to make you keep listening. Um, Kevin, do you want to talk about one of the other plants that you brought yes, in? Yes, yes. Uh, one of the most popular plants we sell and have for many years are magnolias. And I brought this particular tree in today because it's the smallest one we had in the nursery. <laughs> <laughs> All the others are very um, very large and too hard to bring in the car. For our listeners, uh, it's about a metre high. It's yeah. about a metre high. <laughs> this is uh, what they call the Yulin tree or magnolia denudata. Um, and magnolias generally are very ancient form of plants. They've been, a lot of them are one of the earliest flowering plants known. But uh, this denudata has been found in, um, uh, it's, it's a native of China, uh, eastern China and central China. And it was found in uh, Buddhist temples in 660 AD, mm. I believe. So mm. um, uh, one of those classic ornamental trees for the garden, beautiful white tulip-shaped flowers, um, not flowering now, of course. This um, is a deciduous tree, and um, the deciduous magnolias tend to flower on bare branches uh, towards the end of winter. Normally in Melbourne, that's about mid-July onwards, but this mm. year it was a bit later because uh, the weather. Um, but uh, lightly scented uh, flower mm. as well, which is a bonus, and um, spectacular in the middle of winter when we've got those, you know, clear skies and uh, the flowers look like candelabras, mm. um, you know, on the bare mm. branches. So spectacular tree, grows to around about maybe five to six metres high depending on conditions. It's pretty tolerant of a range of conditions uh, in Melbourne, um, providing it has a well-drained soil, doesn't like wet feet. So... The, the clay type soils would need some conditioning before before you plant it. Um, it has uh, the larger leaves, which you know can provide a bit of shade as well, which is a mm. bonus. And uh, it's um, uh, a slow growing tree, but once it gets to a, a, a good size, you know you get those masses of flowers every year, and they look absolutely spectacular. Possums love them, <laughs> like a lot of. They plants do. unfortunately yep. um, so that would be probably a consideration when planting but even as a, an open um, garden specimen type plant they're mm. fantastic and there's a whole range of magnolias of course not just the deciduous types the evergreen types are probably one of the most popular trees we we have um, you know there's, there's the teddy bear magnolia which is um, a great evergreen tree with um, large scented white flowers um, Magnolia um, St Mary, which grows to about uh, six, five or six metres high with large leaves and very large dinner-shaped dinner um, 
flowers with great citrusy perfume. So there's a whole host of different um, varieties and you can get dwarf varieties right through to larger trees and they're all, you know, deserving of a spot in a garden. I think magnolias mm-hmm. are such, such good trees. Um, so and that's magnolia deniodata and it's often called the Yulan tree, Y-U-L-A-N. Okay. Uh, um, not flowering now, but when they do flower, they're spectacular plants. They're beautiful to sit under in summer. Mm. Mm. Yeah, nice mm. and cool. And if you and if you plant it as a shade tree, then you can also put a slippery collar around the trunk, which will stop the possum correct yeah, yeah. from getting up into the tree and avoid planting and next avoid to a fence it planting or, yeah. next to a fence or mm. next to another tree where they can leap across. So, mm. Yeah, you can pre-protect. Yes, the tree. Yeah, yeah. And boy, yeah. can they leap! In my I, old house, the lily pilly tree was planted close to the house. The possums used to trapeze down the power lines, mm. jump onto the roof, mm. and take a running jump into, into the lily pilly. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> Mm. All right, Kevin, you were saying um, that that's one of the shorter ones that you had at the greenery. Uh, well, only that it's shorter in the pot, but it will grow yeah. as a larger um, tree. Yeah. My concern here is when you say to put it in the car kind of thing, does the greenery deliver on those sort of big oh, trees do, for certainly. people to know? Because yes. yeah. um, if that's the shortest one, it's great quality stock. Um, you could probably be picking up some fabulous-looking magnolias for Christmas presents as well. Mm. And mm. I just want to make sure we that can they deliver. deliver. No the, problems, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. there's yeah. none of this putting it on the roof like a Christmas tree. No, <laughs> no. no, no. Yeah. And you can buy advanced um, magnolias of all types, yeah. you know, which obviously yeah. won't fit in a car. So, mm. no, we're, Great to know. we're happy to deliver. No problem. It is quite amazing what you can fit into a car when it you is. work at a retail nursery. Yeah. So if you – and I've – been moving my indoor plants recently i've got a fiddle fig that is almost hitting the roof so it's probably about eight foot tall or something and this time i moved i thought this is the last time i'm putting this in a car (laughs) but you open the front door and swoosh it into the front door and then swing it out to stick to um hit out to the back seats and then you just um, put the pot in sort of the foothold yep. of mm. the front seat. Lay the seat back a little bit. Yeah, put yep. the seat back or, or move the seat forward so the pot doesn't roll around. Yep. And it is amazing. And when I worked in retail nursery, it was quite amazing what you could fit in the front seat mm. of a car by doing that manoeuvre of yep. into the front and then just twisting it. It just means you have to go to the nursery on your own. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Another nursery I went to the other day, I went Friday... Craig Wilson from Gentiana. Oh, yeah. He's a regular, um, fantastic member of this team. Um, I went to visit Craig because he had a, he'd kept a plant for me. And I hadn't been since he'd done a lot of the upgrades and things. And I was gobsmacked at how beautiful it was looking and stuff. Um, he's got these fabulous benches built um, that have got all the pots and mm. displayed on them, and it was so much fun. <laughs> if you can't go there and find something, that there's something wrong with you. Mm. Um, Craig yeah. has an incredible range of yeah. plants, and, and the nursery. Too. Oh yeah. yeah, I love it when I mm. learn so much when he's on. Yeah, but the nursery is in you know tip top condition mm-hmm. all the time, and he does it all on his own. Yeah, like, props yeah. everything on his yeah. own too. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was wondering, you go, oh, what's this? He had these amazing little saxifrages, you know, the, the cushion sort of forming yeah. ones. And um, we're like, yep, we'll have those and we'll have this and that. And, yeah. 
Did you got, fit them all in the car? <laughs> oh, yeah, got them all in the car. I would have left Carol on the side of the road. <laughs> um, I was head, yeah, umming and ahhing about, um, I was sort of looking at Carol hinting, you know, Christmas, because he had this standard ginkgo. Oh. Uh, oh. Yeah. Oh. Standard ginkgo. So Has he grafted it? beautiful. I don't know whether Craig did or someone else had. And then this, the ball at the... Mm. And I'm like, oh, man. Hugging this, yeah, they, they're both standing there laughing at me. But um, he's got some other different ginkgos as well. So um, it's not just about sort of bulbs and perennials and mm. things. He's got other and the maple range, yeah, and stuff. Maples just, and yeah. magnolias as well. Mm. He's got a really good range. Yeah. So that's too. Gentiana Nursery up yeah. at Alinda. It's on yeah. the Alinda Mombolt Road. Um, and I think the only day Craig's closed is a Tuesday. I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go and see Craig. Yeah. Go and annoy him. Tell him yeah. Jane said. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, a text message reminding me that the greenery is in Heidelberg. I do apologise. I think I said Bulleen. Yeah. Is it Heidelberg oh, it on the other Heidelberg. side of the yeah, road? Four, four banks here straight in Heidelberg. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Let's get to some community announcements. Um, we thanked them last week, and I must thank them again. Open Gardens Victoria have been or are incredible supports to the 3CR gardening show um i haven't got double passes to give away this morning but a reminder of a couple of um midsummer um openings that they've got coming up so these ones are pretty cool there's two private gardens opening in the mornington peninsula that have been designed by fiona brockhoff carcella is fiona's and her partner's um personal garden uh, on the edge of the Mornington Peninsula National Park. And 10 minutes down the road is the other garden that is open on that same weekend. It's called Samantha. Um, and it's a sort of coastal retreat in amongst um, a particular um, low-lying area of Portsea. So Kakala and Samantha Gardens are right next to each other. They're open on the 7th to 8th of January. If anyone has watched ABC's Dream Gardens, I think it was in season two um, that Samantha, the Samantha Garden featured um, with Fiona Brockhoff and absolutely celebrating the, and Fiona does this, but the indigenous Mm -hmm. coastal (coughs) flora and design of that um, area. Um, I've watched the Samantha episode of Dream Garden so many times and I, I use it in classes a lot too because it's a fantastic way of um, showing how by working with what's there, the plant species but the soil as well and you can come up with these absolutely stunning designs. Mm. Uh, so those two gardens are open on the 7th and 8th of January. Can I just add into that um they are extraordinary gardens they you know if you want to work with native plants then um particularly the indigenous native plants so many fantastic ideas um the only thing you're going to have to be careful of at that time of year is the roads Mm. so if you want to get down there and see both those gardens i would go early because there's only one road that you can get down okay. to those gardens pretty much or maybe two but they're packed with holiday makers they're opening mm. it in peak season down yes. there too yeah. yeah so 
So just be really aware of that. Don't go in the late afternoon because you may not actually even get through. Mm. Um, it can be really, really busy yep. on those roads. So go early. Well worth going. So I'm not yeah. saying don't go. Yeah. Just go early. Mm-hmm. And most gardens are nice to walk around in the morning too. So yes. get there first thing. Yeah. 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 Yep. Good tip. Thank you. Um, the other... Uh, thing that Open Gardens Victoria have on is a garden design opportunity. So Open Gardens Victoria, or OGV, because that's easier to say, um, have a marquee at the Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show again in March next year. They're looking for a current horticultural garden design student to design their marquee. So they will provide up to $10,000 to create and deliver the project, but they want someone to design it for them. They're looking for eye-catching, innovating, innovative designs that are accessible and present interesting plant choices to encourage visitors into the OGV marquee. Applications close on the 6th of January. If you want more information on that, jump on their website um, or Google MIFCUS, so which is Melbourne International Flowering Garden Show, MIFCUS Student Design Competition Grant for Open Gardens Victoria. There's some guidelines there and you can see the application process. I think that's a pretty incredible opportunity. Mm, wow. Yeah. yeah, especially with yeah. the amount of money they're willing to donate to that. It's so mm. if, if anybody knows an up-and-coming young mm. landscaping student out there, yep. get onto them because that – that is never heard of before, that sort of opportunity. It's not. So. And the exposure that you can get, you can really kickstart a business. Yeah. There's 100,000 people go through that show. Yeah. Mm. It's crazy. <laughs> I'm just trying to open another link and it's not there opening. Um, the school holiday program at the Royal Botanic Gardens is underway as well. They've got – I'm not going to read them all out, so please jump into the Royal Botanic Gardens Victoria website They've got so much going on over summer. Um, they've got a performance installation um, celebrating butterflies in the Butterfly House that's running from the 27th to the 29th of January uh, with performances twice daily. There's summer nature play, um, kids' backyard down at Cranbourne Botanic Gardens. Um, they're running, and this is one of my earliest garden memories actually, um, the wind in the willows from... Oh. Mid-December yeah. until the end of January, mm. so all through summer. <laughs> Mum took me before I started primary school and it was the best. <laughs> uh, so that's on to um, – there's heaps going for, – for more information about times and dates for all these events, please jump on to rbg.vic.gov.au forward slash what's on. And actually that's spelt really weird. So it's forward slash what dash s dash on forward slash just google rbg what's on and i think you should be able to get Mm. to the information um we're getting there we're getting there there is a new book coming out on veggie gardening if i can find the right email here we go the vegetable garden problem solver handbook identify manage and manage diseases and common problems organically by Susan Mulverhill. It's being published in February 2023. So if you're interested in it, um, best way to find out more information about it is to Google the Vegetable Garden Problem Solver Handbook <clears throat> and the there will be a website that comes up for you to uh, sign up or buy a copy of that 
um, looks like it's going to be about $30 Australian. So lots of information about common problems uh, we see in vegetable gardens and how to overcome them. All right, this is the bit that I've been very much looking forward to um, blessing our listeners with today. So I want to say a huge thank you to all of our listeners who tune in once a month, every week. I don't care if you listen to one episode, that's just awesome. So thank you. And thank you to all the listeners that call in and contribute, ask us questions. What I would like to hear from people today is what are some of your favourite stories that have come from the show this year? But have you also learned anything from the show this year too? Have any tips that we've given you work? So you can text us or call us um, on 94190155. I would love to hear it. But we have a Seasol giveaway that's been donated by Seasol to the gardening show. So I have two gift packs available for listeners if you call. Um, pack one has in it Seasol Gardener Soap, a Seasol 2023 calendar, Power feed, controlled release plant food, um, all purpose, 500 grams. A one litre bottle of power feed plant food, uh, the dynamic lifter and soil conditioner, and an earth care white oil insect spray at one litre. So that's the first gift pack. The second gift pack is power feed lawn feed at four kilos, seaweed solution, one litre, organic weed killer, one litre and a power feed for pots and planters at 500 grams. You could gift this to yourself or you could use these as stocking fillers, but give us a call on 94190155 if you want to um, snap those up. If you are one of the lucky ones that gets one of these packs, you can pick them up from the station here on 21 Smith Street in Fitzroy. Um, from Monday to Thursday this week, 9am till 5pm. Um, the station is closed on Friday. Um, if you do come in, and it, we've got a few, a couple little posters around the studio at the moment, um, 3CR has a pop-up shop um, running this December. Um, there's some fundraisers, there's some new T-shirts in a whole heap of different colours, um, some totes tote bags um we've also got heaps of gardening books that have been donated that have been left over from the radiothon there's still some other gardening products as well that we've got left over from the from the radiothon if you do need to get some last minute products for yourself um the last uh announcement is the 3cr summer wine fundraiser there's three different types of wine that 3CR supported Jamsheed Wines has donated $20 per bottle um, or you can buy you can buy them individually or in half and dozen lots and different mixes as well. There's a red, white and a rosé and all the funds from that go to supporting the 3CR station. Um, if you want any more information about the t-shirts and 3CR merch or the summer wine fundraiser go to 3cr.org.au um, but those packs are available to our very special listeners and yeah and they're presents aren't they they're not these this is not part of a fundraiser the things that you're offering to our listeners no they yeah. were um, another generous supporter Seasol yeah. have donated these yeah. products Great. to this to the station yeah. so yeah that's so, so it's very a thank, a thank you yeah. 
A big thank you and to you, the listeners and Are you choosing who gets them based on their answers to the question? <laughs> yeah. Is that... I should have done that. Yeah. No, <laughs> or is it just it's the first, first in best first dress in like best we dress. usually do. Right. Yeah, and I can see the phone lines are really lighting up at the moment. So sorry to the producing team in the studio. <laughs> keep them on their toes. Yeah. All right, we will go to a caller and I thank them for waiting. Mim in Collingwood, are you still there? I certainly am. Oh, hello. <laughs> Hello. It's um, it's lovely hearing you all. Merry Christmas to you all. Thank you. And Thank you. Um, Thank you. lovely hearing Kevin, because for about thirty years I've I've gotten things from um, the greenery, and they've always been top class stock. Um, Thank you. Now I'm after the hydrangeas, got some last year from you and um, but we're very fascinated in our house with anything Japanese and we love Japan we love Japanese art we love Japanese gardening and we love Japanese plants and my daughter asked me to ask about the multicolored florets or flower heads that are that are a feature of a lot of the big Japanese hydrangea gardens they seem to have Three or four colours in the one flower head. Do you oh. know how that's done or anything about it? So, um, do we have a name for it? No, I, we don't. We just have. Um, she's been and strolled through these gardens, and and you can do that on YouTube. You can go for strolls through hydrangea gardens and cherry blossom gardens, but we don't know any more than that. We just know that there seems to be, you know, they're they're just multicoloured. So we uh, pink and blue and yellow and all in the yeah. one flower head. Yeah, it uh, sounds unusual. Mm. It sounds unusual. Uh, mm. I mean, one yeah, of the like, um, the hydrangeas um, that's flowering in the gardens at the moment and uh, looks totally different to the ball type hydrangea is the um, oak leaf hydrangea. Uh, and they've got the white sort of um, pyramid shaped flowers, uh, even yeah. into a creamy sort of colour. Uh, yes. And they've got the oak-shaped leaf to the plant. That's how it gets its name. Yes, I have, I have um, one of those. Yes. They're um, they're spectacular this year. Particularly, we've noticed uh, we have them in the gardens in Heidelberg, and um, they're in full flower at the moment, looking fantastic. Um, but I'm not sure of the other. I'm not. I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure either. Penny, keep looking it up, please. Yes, that's I right. you often see, and and hydrangea sort of. The flower colour and the relationship with soil and pH is absolutely mm. fascinating to me. Mm. The You often see a mix in some plants where they've got this bluey purple, a bit of pink thrown in, and I just wonder if it's just different types soil, soil of related. soil that they're growing in. Some yes. roots might have gotten further down mm. into a, a more mm. deeper subsoil and the pH has changed while some roots might still be... Mm. Uh, a bit closer to surface level again and depending on the type of garden soil that you have um, that might be a slightly different pH to what's a little bit you know 30 40 centimeters below um, oh. whether or not that depth and you know, if Greg Boulderston's listening or Stephen Ryan they might they might be able to shed some light onto it for us um, well, I think knowing that knowing the Japanese it would be managed um, you know in in some way because there's you know a tradition of of hundreds of years, um, mm. so it would be managed. But I, I'd love to hear if anyone has any clues on that. 
We'll put the we'll we'll put the word out if any if any oh, listeners know, so. um, send us an email, give us a call, um, and oh, let us know. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, okay. Mim. Merry Bye-bye. Christmas. Thank you. Bye. Merry Christmas. Bye. Okay, and we've got Marnie in Red Hill. Good morning. Oh, good morning. Um, look, I've just got the tail end of your discussion with Petosprum undulatum, and uh, so I don't really know what it was fully about, but um, we have five acres, four acres of bush that we have uh, that had thousands of Petosprums on it. So over the years, we're gradually getting rid of them and uh, letting the, it regenerate, basically. But we have planted uh, thousands of plants. But we were always after a replacement for the Petosprum because we've got two gullies that the birds, Rufus fantails, and uh, love. And anyway, cut a very long story of research um, short. We finally found through the my local nursery, the Shire Nursery at Briars. Mm-hmm at Mount Martha, um, and through flora, the book flora of Melbourne, uh, this um, plant called Myrcene Howitiana. And in the book, she says an excellent replacement for Ptospora mundulatum, which leapt out at me. So <laughs> uh, we had awful trouble, just could not find anyone that could grow it or anything. But finally, Kate at the nursery, she sort of went off looking so she um, tried about 50, found some, yeah, actually in Red Hills, and um, so tried re- uh, seeding, them, you know, growing them from seed, and had all she had got was three, which I said, oh, can I have those? So she looked after them for about three years, mm. and we got two beautiful plants, mm. which are down in our gully, but she's since got the knack, and so now, you know, she, well, we've got a whole lot more since then but they look very much like a petosperm so if you mm. like that um you know and that's what you need yeah they do but have they, that shiny foliage or glossy foliage yeah but yeah. they're not the weed they're just not weedy and um so anyway if anybody wanted a, a something that was similar um mornington peninsula shire um nursery um they know how to yeah thank thank you for letting us know that i will say there's a little bit of caution with planting um the mercines they're not if roger elliott's listening um he might want to contribute here the they're they are an indigenous species but they're a potential what we call sleeper weed um Ah. they with the uh, direction we're going in with climate change Mm -hmm. It is potential for them to become similar to the Petosporums. Um, if they're directly indigenous to your area, then definitely put a few of them in. I'd probably just be a little bit caution, cautioned with how many I put yeah. in or you yeah. put in. Um, they are a lovely plant and they have beautiful foliage um, and nice smaller flowers, um, but I just wouldn't be planting heaps of them. No. Um, but it's probably a better option than the Petosporum undulatum, I would mm. say. Mm. <laughs> so thank you yeah. for letting us yeah. know that. Okay, thanks. All right, thanks Bye. very much. Bye. All right, text message from Nicola in Eltham with some of her favourites from this year. Um, she found the French Island segment very interesting. 
her Pandaria Wongavine died and with her suggestion, with some suggestions from the show, um, her and her neighbour have planted a hardened burgia and it is settling in very well. Um, the Wongavine, they pruned back and he's coming back from the dead. It was an attack of cockroaches that totally got to it. Have you heard of that before? No. 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 Neither have no. I. Um, love the program and have a great break. Thank you very much, Nicola. Merry Christmas. Um, Wendy in Wani says, I always learn something each Sunday from the show. My favourite session this year was the chap talking about microorganisms and nutrients in soil and getting plants to take them up. Thank you to all the volunteers associated with the program. I think that might have been Ben. Ben Brooker, yeah. And um, him talking about all the different micronutrient yep. and fertilisers that can be used. So they're treasured perennials, Ben and Kerry. That's right. Yep. Thank you. All right, let's go to line eight. Good morning, Roger Elliott. Good morning. Oh, you are listening. I tested you and you passed. Uh, Good, 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 good. Yeah, look, the the Mersine is, uh, it's a a really, you know, useful plant. In probably about, I don't know, three or four years ago, it used to be called Rapania, R-A-P-A-N-E-A, Heritiana, so people might know it by that name. And... um, yeah, look, it even in a garden situation, you might find that you have a copse of Mersine howitiana. It's commonly called muttonwood, I think is one of the common names, um, within a relatively short time. But it's a very useful plant. Mm. In suburban areas, it's, uh, it's fine. But um, if it occurs locally for you, like I think the person from down Flinders Way, mm. it, it, it's probably okay for her, you know. But um, you just need to be aware. It has tiny little olive-like fruits, so the birds love them, and uh, they can get distributed quite quickly. Mm. Um, so it's a plant that will stand a bit of dryness, it will stand wetness, grows up in the dandenong ranges. Um, yeah, yeah it, it, it is it, pretty it, it, widespread around here. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, it goes right across eastern Victoria, up into New South Wales. Mm. Even even grows on Lord Howe Island. So um, yeah, but it's, um, it, it it can be a good a good plant uh, if you want to uh, use it instead of potassium. But uh, I wouldn't tend to be planting it in an area that it doesn't occur naturally. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, and in suburbia, it's probably all right. But if yep. you're maybe on the urban fringe, which is probably, um, then then you might want to think about some other some other options. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, it's a use, use, useful plant, and um, I know in Heathpont we used to go out there, and it very quickly did produce a copse uh, mm. from the seed just dropping on the ground and. Yeah. And uh, so you get multiple trunks coming up, which can look nice. Mm. <laughs> so anyway, there you go. There we go. All right. Thank you very much for calling. Lovely to speak to you. Good on you. All Catch the best. Catch you later. Bye. Bye. Um, question for Kevin again. Do you know, I can't see the screen, um, what do you know about Acer Nagundo Pink Flamingo? Does the greenery have it in stock? 
Uh, I do know of the tree. We don't have it in stock. A lot of the Acer Nagundo varieties uh, can be, we're, we're talking about nuisance plants, um, they can be a nuisance plant in the seed that they produce, mm. particularly some of the really old varieties. And the seeds are the wing seed, so it's carried quite a long distance by wind, and wherever they land, they tend to um, tend to germinate. So they can be a bit of a a bit like the old potosterums, I guess. They can be a bit of a, a weedy type plant. Uh, I think pink flamingo is one that has um, variegated foliage, and the new growth is more pink tinged um, and uh, not commonly grown. I don't think. But um, I can I can certainly uh, look into it and see if it's available if um, yeah, good. if they were trying to source source one. Thanks, Kevin. All right, let's go to another caller now. Um, good morning to Eleanor in Warrigal. Good morning. Thank you for waiting. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Got some nice sunshine, but quite a bit of um, quite a bit of a gusty wind. Mm, right. I was just ringing um, when you asked the question about what did you learn um, from listening to the gardening program. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking about the most important thing that I learned is what can the gardening program mean to someone? Because I guess I years ago when my friend uh, Susie Barrett, who I'd like to say hi to because I know she's listening. Yeah. And also Leah is listening and Jennifer is listening. These are all people that we all communally ring each other or text each other to remind to listen to the show. Um, I just thought that I'd kind of moved away from horticulture being a Burnley graduate who'd gone on to work in health. And I guess I've learnt that the show brings so much depth to just talking about plants being a shared love, hearing people talk about possums, frogs, fungi, environmental issues, I've really learnt that um, it's going to be sort of part of a routine and it's going to compete with my dog training class. (laughs) 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 I'll have to work out a way to prioritise it. So I just wanted to take the opportunity to thank all the volunteers, especially Susie, um, because Susie, of course, said, oh, this, you should listen to this show. I volunteer um, taking calls once a month or whatever it is. Yeah. So um, special shout-out to friendships made through horticulture that seem to live on. So I that was agree. really it. And probably the most interesting story was um, when I got to talk about living in Myrtleford, living near Helen Serple, and Stephen Ryan was sharing um, his journey of you know, moving through the horticultural world and what the career changes have been like. Mm. That was really interesting, especially when they suggested someone could write a book. And I thought, I would like to volunteer on that project just to sort of be the interviewer or the person who collates those stories because I think it is really interesting um, that you think it's a big world, but there's all these connections. At at the moment, um, I used to work at Graham Morrison's nursery and Mm. my mum, my 86-year-old mum, is in the process of trying to work out how she can email Graham to purchase one of those books that he wrote for my Christmas present. So it's just interesting, I think, all the links and the way things spiral out from a little tiny seed and Mm. just wanted to wish you all a Merry Christmas and thank you for the diversity of, of guests and the way that you put the show together and run it because, um, yeah, I was a bit of a slow starter, but it's really 
really, really meaningful and important to me right now with the changes I'm going through in my life. They, uh, that is just so kind and generous, Eleanor. Thank you. I do remember when you called um, earlier on this year. I was on with Stephen that day, and you guys had the chat about um, <laughs> about that. I so, remember listening to that. Yeah, that, that was yeah, that was pretty mm. special. Thank you, too. Eleanor. I I agree wholeheartedly that horticulture, plants, gardening, environmental issues, w- whatever this show brings, also brings friendships i've made some amazing friendships through this show alone Mm. um which is great and um it is a diverse group of people with one common interest and i think that's basically getting our hands dirty yeah and planting plants throughout the world yeah (laughs) yeah so merry christmas to you dear lady yeah i think it's interesting because when i had a a reunion of the years of Burnley people that I went through with. I think Fiona Brockoff and I were in the same sort of cohort. But I remember being seated at a table at the pub after we'd met at Burnley with um, a whole lot of people who had um, taken on other careers. So people who had done the degree at Burnley but gone on to do other things. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm so comfortable because nobody can ask me a plant name because they know that, you know, I'm an OT now and I I don't (laughs) remember that I'm really justifiably rusty. But I actually really like this show because when you say plant plant names, I immediately write it down or text it to Susie just to practice getting that lingo back. Oh, good. That's so great. It was a really lovely reunion because I felt guilt-free about not, you know, no more letters after my name. I'd gone and done something different. But now I think, well, I could go back to that table and I could actually go to another table and say, I listen to the gardening program and that's where I get, you know, plant names under my belt Oh, Eleanor, that's fantastic. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you. Thank you for calling and sharing your stories and tuning in. We we are very, very thankful for it. So, yeah, yeah thank you very much. Yeah, I think thank you to all of you. And I hope you all get a break and also some lovely just meditative days in the garden where you just do mindfulness the way gardening brings that to your life. So amongst all the, you know, psychological um, stress that goes with um, families and celebrations. I hope you also get that quiet time communing with the garden. Mm. Thank you very much. Same to you. Bye. See you next year. Bye. It's one of the reasons I've always enjoyed not just being involved in this, but in gardening more widely, is Mm. that gardening people are good people. People who commune with the earth all the time are people who are good people they're not yeah you know trying to rip you off or do the wrong thing or you know i i just it's a wonderful world to be part of yeah it really is yeah. and I, that's one of the reasons why i love working in the industry yeah. is for the people that that i work mm. with yeah mm. um shared values yes. yeah all of yeah. that um eleanor mentioned her friend Susie barrett um Susie is one of our um, volunteers um part of the team um, she's had her leg up from surgery recently. It's been a little bit slow, her recovery. So I just want to say speedy recovery. Lovely. I hope it improves soon, Susie. Thank you for your time and efforts um, with your um, volunteering for the show. Um, we're very grateful for it. So I hope you're well, Susie, and take care. Um, if you are wanting to chat to us or send us a text message, um, some favourite stories from the year or things that you've learnt from the show, 
Our number is 94190155. The text line is 0488 809 855. Um, couple of questions. and from Kui Rupp um, would like to know if it's okay to divide Clivia's now. She wants to give some to a friend for Christmas. If it's just the common, yeah, um, mm. orange miniata. I'm going to um, say yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Pretty, much, they're, they're pretty much. You'll so, handle it any time so of the year. They're so tough. Yeah, tough they plants. are so tough. But, but tough. great. So, yeah. Yeah. Just make sure that um, they then keep it watered quite yeah. regularly. Um, and, wa- great and water well before you yeah. do it. Too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Thank you very much. Um, Susie has messaged in saying, um, "Wish she wishes she was here today." Um, and thanks to everyone who's covered her. Um, her favourite segments this year have been hearing about guests and the callers, um, reminiscing about their pathways into horticulture, and I have definitely enjoyed those as well. So thanks, Susie. Hello out there. Um, all right, Penny, what is, what's another plant that you've brought in? Oh, okay. Um, I, this is actually chamomile. So chamomile is... Is in flower in my garden at the moment. It is. I love it. This is actually the perennial chamomile, Roman or English chamomile, which is um, Anthemus. Um, I've forgotten the second half of the name, and I did write these down so that when I forgot, Anthemus <laughs> nobilis. So that would help me to remember. But I love it both as a plant and the history of the plant. So it's one of the reasons I got involved in herbs in the first place is I really enjoy the backstory of the plants um, and what they were used for. This this particular one can be grown not just as a ground cover. Um, you can get a non-flowering form that you can grow um, to create um, stools or seats so that you can sit on them because mm. the, the foliage has this lovely apple scent mm. to it. So it can be used in that way. When it's not in flower, the perennial, the, the um, flowering form can also be used in that way, but you have to be aware that it will want to go to flower at some point. So when I had the herb nursery in Ballarat many years ago, I actually had a chamomile lawn that I kept mm. trimmed. It was a bit of work. Um, does like a slightly acidic soil. Um but the flowers are just really, really useful things. So I pick the flowers, I dry them, I use them for chamomile tea. I also use them to water onto seedlings to stop die, um, dieback of seedlings because it is a mild fungicide mm. Mm. as well. So, you know, it has multiple uses. And, and, you know, one of the main uses of chamomile tea is to minimise stress. So if you are feeling a bit stressed over coming days, then <laughs> yeah. try, try drinking some chamomile tea. Yeah. So mine's in flower in my chaotic garden at the moment, but it, it is just, it gives me joy when yeah. I see it. So, so Penny, could, chamomile. do the flowers have yeah. to be dried before you use them in tea or could um, you use it's them fresh? One of, you, look, you can do anything you want, really, mm. but um, it's one of the ones where it does seem to intensify and I think actually slightly improves the mm-hmm. flavour of the tea if they're dried. Yep. Most herbal teas I drink fresh straight mm. from the garden and I just drop them into into the cup. But um, if I ha- have done it, if I've got myself organised <laughs> and dried the flowers, I prefer the mm. dried chamomile tea to the fresh tea. And 
do you how do you dry them do you have i spread it out on a piece of brown paper in a room that has some light coming in but not direct sunlight okay so you don't need to put them outside or into a big drying machine no yeah no i do i i dry lots of things um if they can take sunlight i tend to put them fruits and things that i'm drying like apples i put them out on window screens Mm. and put them out in the sun yep um if they with um herbs you never do them in the sun because you lose most of your volatile oils if you put them in the sun. So you always either hang them in bunches mm-hmm. in the shade or you hang, you spread them out on paper in the shade. That's good to know. Inside. Penny's house must smell heavenly. Oh, <laughs> I reckon. Yeah, I reckon. Until it will. the garlic goes off. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so, yeah. And everyone should be looking at their garlic now and it should be being harvested. There's so to do it's been it's yeah. been quite late this year yeah. because it's been so wet. Um, if your garlic has survived without side sprouting or fungal diseases or bacterial diseases, you're Gold doing metal. really <laughs> well because it's been a bit of a tough year yeah. for them. Mm. So, yeah, but it's um, mine is still in the ground, which is later than it's ever been. So it's been in for well over eight months yeah okay and it's still it's starting to bulb up really well now and a lot of the bulbing can happen in the last two weeks so don't harvest too early Mm. check your bulbs and just see how big they are yeah if they've got to a decent size then harvest them and start curing them but if they're still a bit small leave them in the ground for a bit longer if you can yeah because they'll love the bit of warm weather it looks like we're going to have over the next couple of weeks yeah I hope it's warm over the next yes. couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, another text message saying the Botanic Gardens Day show was terrific. Thank you very much. Um, we have another caller, Lynn in Carlton. Good morning. Uh, hello. Uh, I only want to say that last year you did repeats of earlier garden show programs through January. I only heard about that late, but I was wondering if that same thing was going to happen um, this coming year. That is an excellent question, Lynn. And um, I'm now this is a horrible answer. I'm pretty sure that they will be playing repeats of the gardening show throughout January as well. Well, if you if you ever meet anybody involved, just tell them that um, listeners like myself love. Um, can happily listen to a show even oh. if they've already listened. Thank to you. Yeah. That, no, that's really that's really valuable feedback. Thank you very much. Well, it's completely sincere. So thank you, oh, and thank you for all for your work. Bye. Thank you, Lynn. See you later. Merry Christmas. Uh, I will just Eleanor in Warrigal. If we have contact details for Graham, if you ring back. And leave your mobile number with one of our producers. I will um, get those contact details for you um, if you would like them so you can get hold of Graham's book. I forgot to mention that before. Um, Another text message from Kim. Um, Best thing about listening to the gardening show is the gardening advice and help that we give. Absolute highlight is the Radiothon with the great prizes. Uh, Oh, Kim went to your nursery for the... um, Oh, what, what do we call it? The day that you had. Um, it was the behind the scenes type the of thing. The behind the scenes. Um, yeah, we, we had a good day. Um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, she. that's what Kim says too. So yeah. thank you. Yeah. Um, I've contemplated what bulbs she can put in next year. So that's a good thing. 
That's thank good. you, Jane. Mm. Thank you for doing that day. Oh, that's no problem at all. My mum had a blast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Us walking around with glasses of wine, looking at, at plants and um, <laughs> so a cheese good. platter. It couldn't get any better, <laughs> no, really. It really can't. It and really can't. the fact that anyone that was willing to sort of pay that money as their donation to the station um, were obviously keen on coming and, and talking about plants and things. Mm. And um, it was supposed to end by five o'clock or something, and it didn't. <laughs> Um, it went a lot longer than that because well you know what it's like when people start talking about plants and things it, it just snowballs into like, I know we have to finish at quarter past nine yeah, and yeah. sometimes I'm like well, we're just getting started yeah. <laughs> how I long should... it takes us all to wake up <laughs> yes. I mean what a time we get up on a Sunday morning to come yeah. in and do this yeah. it's yeah. just crazy <laughs> alright thank you very much Kim um, Anne from Northcote um, says that she enjoyed reflecting on Pam Vardy's humongous contribution to the show and her legacy will live on. Pam hosted the gardening show for 25, almost 30 yeah, years. Extraordinary. Every Absolutely. Sunday morning she came in and kept us all in line and gave us all mm. a shot, put us on a microphone. Mm. So thank yep. you to Pam and thanks to Anne for giving that shout out. All right, we've still I, got... Yeah, yeah. please. Yep. If, I just wanted to um, mention the latest edition of Organic Gardener magazine. Um, I'm now officially not the horticultural editor anymore. Um, and and there's a very um, embarrassing thank you to me in the <laughs> magazine, um, which Steve wrote, of course. He's the, he's the editor. Uh, but I just... It's a really lovely issue. There's a terrific article about preserving your harvest, which we all need to think about. Now that I've got a bit more time, I'm going to be doing lots more preserving in different forms. But it covers um, pickling, bottling and drying, so different ways of preserving your harvest. Um, Indigenous plant recipes, so there's an extract from that lovely new book. Um, holiday inspiration, so things about how to be a citizen scientist, how to go along to things that are happening in botanic gardens, whole range of different things. Phil Dudman, who's the new horticultural editor, has written about composting, um, growing a love, another lovely article from um, Jian Lu, who writes regularly. She lives in central Melbourne um, about growing your own fruit salad, so it's about growing a whole lot of mm. different fruits. And, and my article is actually about neem. So in talking about some of the things that we've been talking about, neem is a, is a really important, um, relatively safe pesticide. Mm. Um, but it's also now being used as an additive to soil as well. Mm. So in um, using using neem products in, in soil, um, which I'm finding quite interesting because I, I put some neem cake, which is what's left over after they've squeezed out the neem oil, um, in with my garlic this year. And I've had no um, fungal problems at all, despite the season. So it, wow. it has a bit of an mm. antifungal effect right. as well. Um, it, it is, it was... It comes from India and those sort of countries originally was planted widely across northern Australia where it has become a real problem wheat. So it grows into a really big tree. It was planted as a street tree before people realised you know, what it was capable of. But in, in some riverine areas, in more remote areas, it is, it is actually strangling out the um, indigenous trees. So mm. it is... Um, so what I actually say in the article is don't plant it. 
coat. So if you're in the warmer regions, you wouldn't you wouldn't plant it because you know it's a know it's a weed. It's actually banned from being taken into Northern Territory at all as a seed or a plant or anything. Parts of Queensland, it's banned from as well. Um, and it is. Um, with warming climate, mm. you wouldn't plant it further south because you don't know if it's going to turn weedy. Yeah. If you get mm. managed to, if it survives, mm. it has the potential to turn weedy. Is that turning sleeper weed? Sleeper yes, weed. a sleeper mm. weed. Yeah. But look, it is a really useful plant in the garden as a spray. But one of the problems that we have is that it is certified for being used on ornamental plants but not on edible plants in Australia. Oh, right. Over the rest of the world, it is certified on all plants. As a spray. It's actually used in toothpaste and a whole yep. lot of other things. So what it does is it needs to be eaten and it disrupts the internal hormonal system of the insects. And it's been used in India and other places like that for centuries. But for some reason, our APVMA, Australian Pesticides and Medical, um, won't, hasn't yet licensed it, licensed mm. it for being used on edible plants. So terrific with, with ornamental plants. Um, so I sort of complain a bit about that in the in the article <laughs> yeah, because I know that the people who have these products, which are so much safer than the neonicotinoids and the, some of the other sprays mm. that do get used, um, it, they take so long when they send it off to be tested by yes. the APVMA mm. and um, it, then they say no and then what do you do? Even though it's used in the US and the UK <coughs> on edible plants, at the moment, we're not allowed to use mm. on edible plants yeah. in Australia. Anyway. Very, very effective on um, those flying fungus gnats yes. on indoor plants. Yes. It's probably yep. one of the only things that yep. helps to control them well Yes, mm. the, it's, um, as it, a soil drench. Yes, you just yep. water it onto the soil. Mm. Yeah, so, yep. mm. yeah. So it has some really good uses and, and yeah, it, it's well worth looking at. So that's in the last latest edition. Yeah, good. Great. Which is in shops now. Thank you. Um, I had Virginia message me and say that I'm allowed to give out Graham Morrison's email address. It is the um, only way that people can get hold of his book. So Graham Morrison is an expert fruit grower. The family has had fruit orchards around Templestowe and in Melbourne for years. Mm. Years. Very, very, very long time. And we do love it when he comes on the show. The phone lines go ballistic. Mm-hmm. Graham's email, if you're interested in his book, is grali at hotmail.com. So G-R-A-L-E-E at hotmail.com if you want to get hold uh, of his book. Um, We're coming to the end of the show, but there's still a little bit of time left. Jane, can we talk about the iris? You want to talk about the iris? Yeah. I might have to talk really fast. No. (laughs) Okay, so I've got two stems of the famous iris insatas, so the Japanese water iris. So they're used in um, Japan in a lot of um, ceremonies and things like that because of the size of the flowers and meaning flamboyance and um, opulence and things like that. Um, They can be sort of singles or doubles like... Sorry getting caught in the codenopsis, mm. um, doubles like this one. The one I've got at the moment in front of me is Soapy No Roy. Very, very funny name for yeah. such a beautiful flower. But um, the flowers can be the size of your bread and butter plate or um, some of them even a little bit larger, and they feel like crepe paper. 
um, stunning things, but they need a moist spot in the garden. So if you've got a quite boggy area, um, perfect, or by a pond or um, around the edges of dams and things like that, naturally go dormant during the winter where they like to be a little bit drier, so not sort of submerging into the dam like a water lily, Mm. but around the Mm. edge. Um, You know, fertilisers just in here, the um, slow-release ones Mm. that are okay for waterways and things like that is always good. Um, But make a fabulous cut flower as well. So you just pick them as the buds are starting to um, develop. And they'll open opening, when you cut and them. And they'll open ah, inside. Nice. Um, so generally the stems get to over a metre tall um, and they have that beautiful, typical sword-like um, iris foliage as well. So mm. iris ensata. Mm. Iris ensata. Thank you very That's much, glorious. Jane. Yeah. What a lovely thing to finish the program it on. Is, there is, <laughs> it is a lovely thing to finish with. Penny, we just had a quick question okay. asking about the species of the tucrium that you brought in. Um Betonica. Do you want to spell that? B-E-T-O-N-I-C-A. Betonica. Betonica. So I like betony, but betonica. From Diggers and Lamley, you said have it? Yeah, when I did a search for it, just checking where it was available, both Diggers and Lamley came up. Good. All right. Um, And a last text message from uh, Vicky and Peter in Notting Hill who message in all the time. Merry Christmas to everyone at the gardening show. Um, Kevin, do you have an address for the pop-up that the greenery has? Uh, it's Bridge, Bridge, Bridge Road. Road. I can't remember the number. I brought our little uh, summer greenery booklet in, and, of course, this was printed before the, the pop-up went. <laughs> so, but you said so it was near the corner of... It's near the corner of Church Street. Church Street so, and Bridge, Bridge Road, Road in yes. Richmond. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. we don't have anything more specific. But it's quite big so that it... Yes, oh, it's, it's all signposted yep. so you can't miss it. Yeah. All righty. Guys, we've come to the end of the gardening show for another year. Thanks to the three of you for coming in this week at a particularly crazy time of the year. Um, Merry Christmas. Uh, And I want to say Merry Christmas, if that's what you celebrate, Mm -hmm. if anything, to all of our listeners out there. A huge thank you to every single panellist we've had on the show this year and to my co-hosts, AB, Virginia, Emma and Stephen. would not be able to do this every single week like Pam does. So thank you to them for giving up their time and coming in. And thank you to everyone else behind the scenes that keeps this show running. So all of our producers, I would not like, we would not be able to run the show without our producers. Um, And we've got a few new ones on board. So that's really exciting. Have a wonderful Christmas. Stay safe. Wear your sun cream, wear a hat, happy gardening. And we'll see you back in the first Sunday of February next year. See you later.